As you see on the screens, let's try to make room. Um, make sure your purse doesn't have a seat tonight. I'm sure there's people in the overflow and on a Tuesday night in Southern California. Could you imagine? And my heart is full already. You know, I could go home right now <laughs> and, and be just fine, you know. And uh, I, I struggled um, just in the preparation of, of the messages for this week. And, and um, I think God is he's doing something in, in our church. And I think he's, he's starting with, with the leadership. <laughs> he's starting with us. And um, I can speak for myself anyway. God is, is showing me, and, and it, he confirmed on, on Sunday when Pastor Ronnie came, that oftentimes, you know, we, we look on the out, we look at you guys, and, and um, you know, we're pastoring you, and we're dealing a lot with, with what all that comes with that, but oftentimes, you know, we, uh, the Bible says to take heed to thyself, to make sure that though you've preached to others that you yourself does not become a castaway. And um, so God's been doing a, a work in me, and, uh, and I just feel just, you know, unworthy to preach this message tonight. But I, I do truly believe that this is what God wants to say to us. And uh, I won't make any announcements tonight, Pastor, forgive me. Um, but we'll definitely try to get you up to date with all that's going on and, and um, the new service time. Remember, 8.30, moving forward um, on Sundays, okay? Um, but take your Bibles with me tonight to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 4. This is going to be a two-part message tonight. I'm going to try to get through the first two verses and then on Saturday, uh, if time permits, and if we are able to, I'm um, looking forward to Sister Sarah giving her testimony. And so I don't know if we're going to be able to, to preach after she shares her testimony. But um, we're praying and that God would just have his way in these services. We, one of the things that Pastor and I talked about a lot was just let God do what he wants to do. We truly want to get out of his way. And uh, so we want to be flexible. So if you're there in your Bibles tonight in Luke chapter 11, say amen. amen. I want you to begin reading with me. The title of the message tonight is, Lord, teach us to pray. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, teach us to pray. The New Hebrides revival of 1949 through 1953 was sparked by prayer. It was birth and travailing in prayer. Of course, many today don't understand what it is to travail in prayer. I think today in the church, the modern American church, prayer has become the Cinderella of the church as Leonard Ravenhill would say, it is not common to see all-night prayer meetings. It is not common to see people who would sanctify their lives to seek God in prayer. But the New Hebrides revival was birthed through prayer. There were two sisters. They were 82 and 84 years old. The 84-year-old sister, she was blind. And these two women, they had a great burden and desperation for the, the state of their city. 
You see, young people were never found in the services. They had all gone off to seeking pleasure and to the drinking houses and to uh, other debauchery type of activities. And there was a letter sent out amongst the clergy with, within the region, and they said, what if we took it seriously, the fact that our youth are so far from God? What if we did something? What if we understood that we have a responsibility in seeking God so that our youth would come to know him? And these 84 and 82-year-old women, they heard of this plea from the clergy in the area, and they took it personally. I want to ask you tonight, do you take the state of this city, the state of this nation, personally? One of the things that I've been praying, one of the things God's been working on me about is, and what I I prayed on, on Monday night after Pastor preached, was that God... Give me the burden that you have for the lost. Give me your heart for the state of, of your church, Lord. I want to just feel a one uh, percent of what you feel, how you are grieved by the current state of the church. I was, and I believe God spoke into my, my, my heart, and he said, you know, we, you've become an expert of diagnosing, you know, those outside of the church, the, the lost, and, and how uh, depraved their activities are, and how their perversion and other things that they are promoting is, you know, is disgusting, and, and I'm telling you, you've become an expert of, of pointing the finger at others, but what about you, Abram? What about your apathy? What about your lack of prayer? What about the lack of the power of God in your life? Well, the church as a whole had become cold when the letter went out and these two women began to pray. They began to seek God's face for a season. And then one night God gave one of the sisters a vision And in that vision, she saw the church packed with young people. She was overjoyed with the vision that God had given her, and she told to her sister, and she said, I believe revival is coming to the parish. Even though at that time, not one young person was attending public worship. She called for the minister, and she shared the vision that God had given to her, and the minister accepted the vision as one from God, and They determined that they would wait on God in prayer. I want you to hear what they determined. They determined that for two nights uh, a week, they would wait on God in prayer and seeking his face from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. We have trouble getting us here at 6 a.m., right? For an hour and a half. But listen to this. Like pastor's been saying, desperate people do desperate things. And so they sought out to seek God, and they did so for several months, and nothing happened until one night, while they were in one of these meetings, a young deacon stood up, and he said, it just seems like we're wasting our time here, especially since we don't even ourselves know where we stand with God. He opened his Bible. He read Psalm 24, 3 through 5. It says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. After He read those verses, he raised his hands to heaven, and he looked to God, and he cried out, Oh God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? Then he fell to his knees, and the power of God fell on him. He was in a trance. And you can trace the New Hebrews revival back to that young deacon After that took place, the spirit of God began to move. And I want you to understand, church, what what we're seeking this week 
in revival is we're seeking that God will show up, that God would, as we've stated, rend the heavens. And I want you to understand that when God rends the heavens, he's going to come down, he's going to sit in his presence, it's going to permeate the entire community. And that's what took place in the New Hebrews Revival. You can read about it. I don't, time won't permit for me to share with you the testimonies. But many people came to Christ outside of preaching. Many people, uh, the, 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 the presence of God hit them in their homes. And you would see uh, people prostate on, on the side of the road while they're on a business trip. And I'm telling you, you would see people just congregating in random places because the church became too packed to hold all the people that God was drawing in. I'm telling you, revival, when it happens, it's a God thing. It's supernatural. But I want you to understand it's birth through prayer. And that brings us to our text tonight. Jesus' disciples, they had, of course, been first-hand witnesses of his prayer life. His prayer life. I want you to notice, we, we read it just a moment ago, Jesus praying. Our text begins with Jesus, God in the flesh, praying. Often Jesus would retreat into private sessions of prayer. He would rise up long before the sun would, and he'd go and fellowship and pray to the Father. And, and uh, oftentimes the disciples would look for him. They, they couldn't find him because he was in that secret place with God. And, and there are other times in Scripture, as is in our text tonight, where Jesus prayed in close proximity to the disciples. And you'll notice a pattern in Jesus' life and ministry. Before and during every major event, Jesus is shown praying. He prayed right before his baptism. He prayed as he chose the 12 disciples. He, he prayed, uh, of course, in the garden of Gethsemane before he was to give his life for our sin. He prayed from the cross of Calvary. Uh, I'm telling you, Jesus lived and he breathed and he, 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 he had a, a life of prayer. He was a man of prayer. Not only was Jesus a man of prayer, we see in the text, verse number one, that John the Baptist was a man of prayer. The disciple who came to Jesus and asked for him to teach them how to pray, he obviously had an end on the fact that John had taught his disciples to pray as well. Now we know about John the Baptist. Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest man ever born of a woman apart from himself. Now I want you to get something in your mind tonight, church. The two greatest men who ever walked the planet, one being God incarnate, and of course John the Baptist, his forerunner. These men were men of prayer. They were men of prayer, and I'm telling you, we aren't going to see God rend the heavens until we become men and women of prayer. You see, the disciples knew there was something to prayer because everywhere that Jesus went, he cast out every devil. Everywhere that Jesus went, there were miracles. They knew John the Baptist, uh, how he had stirred up and prepared the way, how his effectiveness in ministry could not be pointed to the fact that he was a phenomenal preacher. No, it could be pointed to his private prayer time. Let me ask you this question, church. Are we people of prayer? Is prayer the heartbeat of our relationship with God? The disciples, they didn't ask Jesus to teach them to preach. They didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to perform miracles or to cast out devils. They were already doing those things. And dare I say, I have been there where I, I preached sermon after sermon and nothing happened. And, and, and I've, I've been there going through the motions. Most churches today, they operate, uh, they operate 90% of the time, I think, without the Spirit of God. And, and it's business as usual in churches, even though the Spirit isn't moving. And I'm telling you uh, uh, <laughs> what we are missing today in the church. Are men and women of prayer. Now we're going to unpack this 
as Jesus is going to give a pattern to his disciples for prayer. Now, as I was reading it, you guys can recite that from memory. You know, you've heard it. You've heard it. You've heard sports teams recite it. You've heard it, you know, all the time, everywhere. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's called that not because Jesus, that's how Jesus prayed. You see, Jesus never had to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> Jesus is teaching this to his disciples as a pattern, as a model to build upon. And I've learned this. The closer we get to God, prayer becomes more natural. You get to go into God's presence with an assurance, with a, with a how can I say it, a, a, a more bold stance. You know, my children, they burst into our room. You know, they, they don't knock. <laughs> they, they, they come to me and, and they, they are able to, uh, at any moment's time, cry out to me. And there's no hesitation there. And I believe this to be true for us. As we learn to, to, to go deeper with God in prayer, there's going to be a growth there. But I want you to notice for me tonight, Jesus gives us a, a pattern into how we should begin in prayer. I want you to notice, he says that we should say in the beginning of our prayer, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. I want you to understand this is radical. A Jew would have not had the audacity to come to God with such a, in their mind, a cavalier approach, an intimate approach. A Jew would have had a healthy fear and respect for God. I'm saying, I'm not saying we still need that, but I want you to understand the intimate approach that Jesus is teaching to the disciples. And I believe what he wants for us to have with the father as well. He wants us to call him our father. Now I know some of you may have not had a good example of a father on this side of heaven, but I want to just encourage you tonight, your father in heaven, the Bible says there are no shadows of turning within him. He is perfection. He is a good, good father as the song sings. He is everything that you could ever possibly imagine and more. He will never disappoint you. He always keeps his word and he is a loving father. He will do what's best for you every single time. And I, I just want to encourage us right in the beginning of this as Jesus is teaching the disciples to prayer. He's saying you're going to pray not out of fear. You're going to pray not out of trepidation. You're not going to come to God uh, wondering if he's going to uh, send a lightning bolt down to you. You're going to approach him as if he is your father. You're going to come from the relationship that you are able to acclaim because you are close to me. Listen, God is our father because of what Jesus has done. Because these disciples were in relationship with Jesus, they can approach the Father. They could go into the Holy of Holies. You know, when Jesus died there in the Holy of Holies, the veil ripped. And you know what that was signifying? The fact that we now, because of the sacrifice of Christ, have free entrance into his presence. We can go to God at any moment's time. We can call on him and he is there because of what Jesus has done. So Jesus is giving them this model uh, of relationship. And I've found this to be true. When my prayer life is suffering, it's because I'm neglecting that relationship. I'm not seeking my father. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I struggle in this area. I struggle trusting God. I, I grew up with the father who was the furthest thing from godly. And I'm telling you it took me and I'm still in the process of allowing God to chip away my uh, paradigm and chip away uh, my uncertainty to see him for who he truly is my father in heaven my perfect father and I'm telling you the relationship aspect of prayer is the most important part of prayer because God wants us to come to him like we are his children do you pray like a child are you totally dependent on God? When my, my children come to me, when they're happy, 
When they've accomplished something, they come to me, look, daddy, look what I made. Look, daddy, look at this grade. Look, daddy, I want you to rejoice with me in this. My children come to me when they're hungry, when they have a need. And, and uh, the Bible talks about that we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more so will our heavenly father give us what we need when we ask of him? My children come to me when they are hurting. Oh, when they skin their knees from the time they're this little, they run to me and I give them a little kiss on there or sometimes with the boys I say get up and stop whining <laughs> you're going to be a masculine man <laughs> but the problem is we get too grown for God we get independent uh, in our old age. We think we got this handled. God, I got my bank account. I got my health. I got this. I got this security or whatever it is. And we get too big for God. And, we, and that always affects our prayer time. My children are totally dependent on me. When they need help, they come to me. Dad, I don't know how to do this. Sometimes they ask me for help um, with homework and I say, ask your mom. I don't know. <laughs> I'm telling you, but the, my children are, they think I can do anything. They think I have all the money in the world, too. <laughs> Dad, just swipe the card. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Your father in heaven, he does own the cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> if I were to write you a check tonight for a million dollars, it wouldn't mean anything. <laughs> but if Bill Gates did... I want you to get the picture here that your father in heaven, I think we, we don't pray because we don't believe enough in him. We don't have a high view of him. That's why Jesus said our father in heaven. He's at the height of heights. He's in heaven. He's on the throne. He is the supreme being of the universe. And when you pray, I want you to be reminded tonight, you're not going to somebody who's limited in his power. You're going to the almighty, the great I am, the one who needs nothing, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask or think tonight I think revival tarries because we don't pray and I think we don't pray because we don't believe I'm telling you I believe God he's shown me he's real I remember when he called me to seminary I remember being there for a few weeks and the first installment of the, of the college bill was due and I didn't have two nickels to rub together I'm working all I can and going to school and, and just Man, I just, it, it could have been a billion dollars, and I just felt discouraged. Like, I'm not even going to make it to the first quarter. And then I remember a friend of mine, he's a Marine, former Marine, and now he's a preacher in Memphis. And I remember Brandon taking me over and saying, hey, man, what's wrong? He could see it in my countenance. And I said, hey, man, I think this is going to be my last week. I, I got my bill, and I, I just, I can't pay it. And um, he said, let's pray. This is the first time someone other than my mother said, hey, let's pray about this right now. He prayed to the Father. I promise you, the day came where it was time for the installment. I didn't go to the, the financial office that day. I, 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 I <laughs> just said, God, you know, let them come find me and kick me out. Because <laughs> I believe you called me here, God. They did come find me, and they, but it wasn't for what you think it was for. The dean called me into his office. He said, hey, I just wanted to let you know there's been a, a payment applied to your account. And I said, oh, wow, praise God. Was it, was it for the first installment? He said, no, it's for the whole year. I'm telling you, I cried. I said, God, you're real. I remember being in seminary and just, you know, just many times where God just showed me, hey, if you step out on faith, 
If you're going to do what I have called you to do, I've got your back. I'm your father in heaven. Yes, some of you, you, you may have had a father who had a big bankroll, but he wasn't present or, or whatever. He, he was imbalanced in some area. But I want to encourage us as a church tonight to, to, to know that our father, he is perfect. He's everything you need. And so when you go to him, it should be precious to you because you're precious to him. He should be the priority of our day. He should be the first appointment on the calendar. How many times are we guilty of looking at the smartphone that makes us dumber? How many times are we guilty of getting on social media for the stupidity that's on there? How many times do we let the world and the cares of this world rob us from the peace that is found in fellowship with the Father? There's never been a time when I'm in fellowship with my Father where I'm worried about anything because He fills me up. He gives me grace. He gives me a a hope for the future and I want to tell somebody tonight go to your father start praying Jesus has made a way for us to go to the father oh the price that was paid for us to have sweet communion with the father we get to meet with the almighty so Jesus says this is how you you begin to pray. You, you go in saying, claiming the relationship that you have with me, that you have now with the Father. But I want you to see, he goes on. He says, hallowed be your name. I want you to understand what this is saying. What does hallowed mean? It's from the Greek word hayazo, and, and it means to be set apart to, to treat as holy, to, to put it in a high and exalted position. And it is our job to go before our Father with reverence, with uh, the, the heart of worship. That's what worship is, guys. It's to ascribe worth to God and, 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 and it's to put him uh, apart above every other name, above every other relationship. He is priority. He is preeminent above everything. And it's our job as his people to, to guard his reputation, to, to uh, live in such a way that men revere our father who is in heaven. And I'm telling you, this is where a lot of people get off the train. We don't really reverence God like we should. There isn't, in the church today, there isn't a healthy fear of God or respect of God, a, a reverence of God. You know what it looks like to, to reverence God, not just in prayer, but in your life? It means that your life is set apart. It means that you sanctify yourself. It means that you aren't involved in certain things and you don't entertain sinful patterns in your life because you value the fellowship with God more than it is the pleasure, the temporary pleasure of sin. And I'm telling you, what does uh, Second Chronicles 7 say, or First Chronicles 7, that If we turn away from our wicked ways, then he will hear us from heaven. You know, some of us, the reason why we don't pray is because there's that secret sin in our lives. And we know that when we pray and we're still holding on to this secret sin, it's just going to hit the ceiling. I believe this week God is saying to, to me and to all of us to sanctify our lives. What is it in your life? Is it a, is it, what is it that is uh, causing the, the communion with the Father to be disrupted? What is it in our lives that we're holding on to? We, we heard great messages on Sunday and Monday uh, speaking to these things. And, and I want to tell you, I know people in here who are holding bitterness against their spouse. I know people in here who you won't talk to someone even in this very building right now. I know there are people in here who are, are involved in things that do not glorify God. And, and, and we expect for our prayers to be effective. Now, none of us are going to be perfect, but I've learned this. And what I'm trying to practice in my life is to keep a short account of sin with God. When I sin, oh, God, I'm sorry. Oh, God, I'm sorry. 
please forgive me. I, I want to be so careful. Like we learned on Sunday, Pastor Ronnie, I, I got to pick his brain. I took him to LAX and he's a man of God. And, and I'm, I got a cell phone number and he's going to be a mentor of mine. And I asked him, hey, Pastor Ronnie, you've been married 47 years. You've been in ministry about that same amount of time. How is it that you remain faithful to your wife and faithful to the Lord Jesus and being used in such a way that you're being used even at this point? And he said, I, I kept short accounts of sin with God. My devotional time is non-negotiable. He, he said, I, I've disciplined my life. I wake up 3 a.m., 3.30, 4 a.m. every day. And the first two hours are for God and God alone. And I'm not preparing a message. I'm hearing from, I want to hear from God. I worship him. I pray. I confess anything that God reveals to me in my heart. And, and he said, this has kept me, though many of my contemporaries have long fallen out of the ministry, been divorced, uh, gone down the path of destruction. Oh, on the, uh, he said, this is the only thing that's kept me is the fellowship that I have with God. Do you have that type of a fellowship with God? I'm going to be honest. It convicted me. There are times when I wake up and I don't wake up on fire for God or hungry for his word. And I let the distractions of whatever it might be pull me away at times. In my prayer, I wish it was more consistent. And on the drive home, I just cried out to God. Like I said, God's been working on me. Hey, hey, I'm not going to preach at anybody else but me first because I'm telling you, uh, if, if we aren't getting real with God, if we aren't having a come to Jesus moment almost on every day, if we aren't uh, seeking for him to reveal in us where we have gotten off track, we can't expect our prayers to be effective. Jesus is teaching this to them. He's teaching them how to approach God. I promise you that we must approach God with clean hands. We must. I'm telling you, God delights in hearing from us. You know, in heaven right now, there are vials. The prayers of the saints. And, and they're described as sweet perfume. Incense in the nostrils of God. And there's few things I believe that pleases God more than when we come to him in prayer. When we come in with clean hands and seeking his heart on matters. Jesus, the perfect son of God, he depended upon prayer. The days that he lived on the earth in the flesh. Then how much more than you and I? need to pray, need to go into his presence for provision, for protection, for direction. I'm telling you, the ultimate pride in our lives is when we don't pray. God resists the proud. We don't talk about that. Prayerlessness has become the, the, the MO of many Christians. Many Christians. I'm telling you, I am only here because of the prayers of other people. I was thinking about my wife and how it seems like God hears her prayers a lot quicker than mine. <laughs> I remember I'm here tonight. I was reminded of it over here as we were worshiping when we were in the car in the driveway and, and I wasn't in a good spot. And I remember just weeping. I was this close to being out in the ministry. And my wife, even though I had been a jerk to her, even though I was not leading like I should have, I remember her praying for me. She said, and she prayed very precisely. She said, God, send someone to help my husband. I had no mentors. I, those who I would reach out to, they, didn't, they were too busy or they were not interested. And um, it was two days later where Pastor Shane emailed me. <laughs> and... 
we had had a few correspondences, uh, you know, the years prior, a few, a few years prior. And, and uh, he asked me, you know, he would ask me from time to time, how are you doing? I, I, I'd lie. I'd say, we're doing great. Whoo! Man! But this time, God had broken something, and something broke in me. Asked my wife, I never cried. Now, every single time, every day, I try to, I stay up here in the front so you guys don't see me over here. Just, God, God, I'm trying not to. There's times when I have to come up here and just compose myself. And, and I was preaching in Pasadena about a month ago, and I'm, I'm in front of the church and just weeping. Just, I'm, I'm telling you. Something broke that day, and God sent his servant to, to pour into me, and here I am today. And as, Chris, what you said, you know, about how Westside is a place where you can call home, where there isn't that, the pretense. I come from a, a, a background in church where everyone comes to church with their, their mask on. Everyone has it together. Everyone has their big King James Bible. And, and, and you come in there, and you, you're suited and booted, but your marriage, your marriage is crumbling. And when someone asks you how you're doing, you say, good, brother, so fake, and it's just, ah, God, my father, he knew exactly what I needed. And, and he, even when I couldn't pray, he, I think he just saw this big baby crying in the car, and then my wife <laughs> dialed him up, and, and then God did an, an amazing work. It, it was a process, and I'm still on that, that process, and many of you are still. I just want to encourage you. You're here tonight. God isn't done yet. He's going to, I'm telling you, he can find you right where you are. Oh, I, it, it just filled my heart tonight to see all the men up here, these men excited about God. And I know, and I know some of their testimony, where they were two years ago, a year ago, and where they are now. I know some men who would have been up here, but they're in heaven right now. I, I'm just, I'm amazed by my father in heaven. And Jesus understood how to pray and the, the necessity of prayer in the life of a believer. And, and I'm telling you, what we've got to learn from Jesus is to make prayer the heartbeat of our walk with him. The Bible says men are always to pray and not to faint. Uh, men, I, women, I want to encourage you to have an ongoing conversation with your father all day. Uh, think about him. Tell him of his goodness. Remember what he's done for you to bring you to that point you're at right now. And I'm telling you, if you're going through it, if you're in the valley right now, oh, cry out to him. When my children cry out to me, I hear that, and it makes me get up and want to do something. And I just want to tell you, uh, he hears your cry. Keep crying out. And I'm telling you, God, God is looking for a church, and this is what we are praying for. We're looking for a church who's hungry for him to show up, hungry for revival, hungry for the power of God to show up in this generation. And I'm telling you, if we get serious about this, we'll see him move. How would be your name? Oh, let's lift his name up. Let's put his name high and lift it up above all the others. Let that be the heartbeat of our prayer. But I want you to see thirdly tonight, Jesus goes on. He says, pray your kingdom come and your will be done. Our prayers should be for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Oftentimes we pray amiss, right? Like James said, we pray for things that will build our kingdom, <laughs> so that we can consume them upon our, our, our fleshly lusts. But Jesus is clear. When a person 
prays for the coming of the kingdom, he or she are identifying with the message of Jesus, uh, of the gospel of the kingdom. Now, I know the gospel of the kingdom, uh, some say it's, it's, it's different from the, the gospel that we, of course, uh, hold to the salvation comes through the faith. But no, I, I believe it's the same thing. Uh, you see, the kingdom of God is built when one sinner repents. When someone calls on Christ for salvation, they're added to the kingdom uh, of light. They come out of the kingdom of darkness and they're brought into his marvelous light. They are now seated up in the heavenlings with Jesus Christ. They receive eternal life at that very moment. I want to tell you something tonight. If you've already received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you already have eternal life. You don't have to wait to die to have it. You already have the abundant life. Oh, you have all that you need in Jesus. And we should be praying for the advancement of the kingdom. What did Jesus tell those disciples? He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. One of the signs of true revival when God sits down uh, on a city, on a nation, is there is a, a, of course, a a sweeping uh, heart of evangelism. Oh, you read about the New Hebrews revival. There were missionaries. I I heard about a a, a young teacher who got converted and then she quickly trained and went to Africa as a missionary and and there's whole villages of uh, of people I know who are impacted by this lady. And I'm telling you, uh, when we get our heart aligned with God's heart, when we pray as we are, uh, are called to pray, oh, mighty and great things God will do. I'm telling you, it has been said that prayer is not for us to get our way, but it's for us to allow, to pray for God's will to be done on earth. How do you pray? What do you ask for? (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with asking God to provide. There's nothing wrong. uh, There's nothing wrong with asking for him to move in in our situations. And I don't want to discourage anybody for that. But where on the priority list is the kingdom of God? I've realized this. I don't want to pray for things that are not. I don't want to spend too much time praying for things that are won't outlive me. I don't want to spend too much time focused on things that won't matter for the kingdom. Honestly, I think we as Christians, and you may take this wrong, but I really, I believe this, that oftentimes we spend more time praying, keeping the saints out of heaven than we do praying people out of hell. You want to hear me? Listen to me, okay? We spend more time, and we should pray for the saints. We should lay hands, and we're believing this week for people to be healed. I want to just preface that, and God still is in the business of healing. However, Jesus, he didn't heal. He didn't heal everybody on the earth when he was on the earth, right? But what did he do? He preached, and he said, what did he tell the church to preach the gospel to every creature? Because someone may be healed, and 30 years later, die and go to hell. Eternity, 30 years. And I'm telling you, we've got to have a kingdom mind in our prayers. There should be a section in all of our prayer lists for those who we know who are Lost those who do not know the Christ. And we've got to ask God to align our hearts with his heart. Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he, he was moved with compassion on them. He, he, he said they're like sheep without a shepherd, and, and it caused him to, to weep. He wept over the harvest. He said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. You know what I've learned? When you start to pray for the harvest, God usually pretty soon will show you how you can labor in it. You know something that we all can do? We can pray. We can go to the Father and pray. And this is his will. What he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Do you guys believe that God's will is that none should perish? Let's pray to that end. Do you guys believe that God's will is that his glory be seen on earth as it is in heaven? Let's pray to that end. 
Let's align our prayers to that end. One of the things I pray over my kids often is that they would be laborers in the harvest, that God would use them. My heart beats for uh, you know, the, 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 the harvest, and, and I really truly believe that we have these arrows in our home. We have these, 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 this heritage of the Lord, and you can push your child. I was with the, at the gym today, and there's this dad in there, and he's so proud of his son, and He's getting ready to go try out for the, the high school basketball team, right? And he's coaching him up, you know, in the pickup game. And you can see that he's passionate about pointing his son towards sports. And um, I couldn't help but think, I, I wonder how much does that young man know about Christ? How much is the dad pouring into him spiritual truths? And, and I just want to encourage parents, you have a captive audience if they're eating your food and sleeping in your heat and air conditioning. Hey, you better take that as a, as a sign that you've got to teach them about the kingdom and, and put it into their heart that there are those around them who need Christ. And what better... And what bigger privilege is there than to be his ambassador? Your kingdom come on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, what I've been praying specifically more lately is it's just petitioning God about the fact that his glory is on the line here in this nation. If this nation implodes, which it is right now, <laughs> with how many some odd people who claim to be Christian, while the world is mocking us, and you know, while seemingly the enemy and his kingdom is progressing, I, I've been petitioning God like. <laughs> God, you can't let this happen. God, we're, 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 we need to see you move. And I believe you will. I believe what we're seeing in here, what we saw last night, when I believe people who are professing faith in Christ were, were baptized Oh, on Halloween. I'm telling you, that was a, that was a, a slap in the face of the enemy. I believe we are seeing a measure of revival, and I, I believe we got to keep applying pressure, applying pressure. When I was in high school, I had a coach. He was a former military man, and he ran us to death. Oh, but I'm telling you, he said, we're going to apply pressure from the time of the tip-off to the end of the game. And let me tell you what, because of that hard labor, that travailing in practice, the game was very easy, and we went undefeated. And I'm telling you, what we've got to do in the spiritual realm, uh, Paul would often equate the, the spiritual life with, with sporting events or warfare. He'd often use that illustration. He says, I press towards the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. He said, I run the race uh, as if not with one. He said, I, I, I go about it not as one that beat it against the air. He, he used these analogies because he understood that he was in a battle. He was in the heat of a war. And I'm telling you, we have a pastor here. He's like Braveheart, a bald-headed Braveheart. And what he's going to Dude, he's, he's leading the charge. He's saying, hey, let's storm the gates of hell. Hey, we're not supposed to be on, on defense. We're supposed to be on offense here. We're supposed to be going into the world and shining the light of the gospel and praying and, and being serious in times like we are in. Got to wake up because we want his will to be done and his on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus gives us a pattern for prayer here that if we were to put the meat on the bones, if we were to get serious about prayer, petitioning our Father from our relationship with Him because we have Jesus and from a, 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 a 
respectful approach, a reverence, a, 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 a lifting up of his name. And, and if we were to pray in his will for his will to be done for the advancement of the kingdom, I believe God will begin to show up and show out. And this is what I'm praying for. I believe that's what many of you in here tonight are praying for. And I, I, just, I just have a sense that God is going to do something. Those people, I'm going to tell you guys this, those people from that New Hebrews revival, they, they, they tarried, they travailed for a season, for months before God sat down. And it went on for four years. Could you imagine renting the heavens for four years? <laughs> you know, my prayers, I know you pray this, Pastor, like, these services are electric. It's, I don't even want to come Sunday morning. <laughs> After in the heavens. It takes me a while. I'm going to be honest. Pastor, are you sure you want me to preach? Hey, you know what? <laughs> my, my throat is sore, Pastor. I'm just messing. <laughs> but imagine... We got to keep pressing in, applying pressure, but apply pressure tomorrow morning. Now, when that, when that alarm goes off, don't hit the snooze 10 times. You got an appointment. I got an appointment. Get up, apply pressure, use this as a pattern. There's different types of prayer we know. There's intercessory prayer. There's, there, there's different types of prayer. But I believe this is a good model that we should have in our tool belt for prayer. Well, tonight, we're, we've learned from the master. We, we've been in the master class on prayer, a, a, a master level course on prayer. And we're going to continue it later on in the week. But tonight, let us determine to be people of prayer. If your prayer life is pitiful, Tonight, come to the altar and repent of your prayerlessness and wake up tomorrow. Ask God to give you a hunger to wake up tomorrow and seek his face. And prayer warrior, if you're getting weary, don't be weary and well-doing for in due season you will reap. If you faint not, if you faint not, get, get back on it. <laughs>